0: What is happening? Welcome to episode two of the Wind Up Podcast. I am Mike, I am the winemaker and owner of MTGA Wines. I realized in the introduction to this as well as in episode one, I didn't introduce myself and who I am and what I do. So that is who I am, that is what I do. I have been so excited to dive into this next episode and kind of get into what is going to be kind of our schedule of releasing these episodes. Uh, last episode, uh, for those that may not have caught it, or even for those who did, obviously we we covered the kind of top level stuff in the winemaking process. After grapes have been picked, they're at the winery and you're going to start making wine. We talked about the fermentation, we talked about the malactic conversion, we talked about uh, temperature, we talked about all kinds of things that kind of come and go throughout that process. Some of the judgment calls us winemakers or make uh, will make some of them you know for stylistic purposes, other for just overall stability and quality of the wine, all kinds of little things. And where we left that process off was at the aging. Process and that's when you have kind of those volatile processes complete. The fermentation is done. The malactic conversion is done. Your wine is ready to be aged, and that aging process can be anywhere from a few months, couple of months, to a few years. And there's a big distinction between the wines that obviously you know are kind of quicker to release, that are bottled up a little bit sooner, and those that spend that extra time in a container of some sort for that aging process. So what I wanted to do is dive into that aging process, the type of vessels that we use, uh, why we use those kind of the stylistic considerations behind each. I also wanna talk about kind of the amount of time and what we're looking for over the course of those months or those years and how we decide when a wine is finally ready after that aging process. And as a part of that i'll try and apply this to what we do with mtga the wines that i make as well as the wines that my wife makes under the blair payton label Uh, that'll be kind of some real life kind of practical application of how we use some of these things and what we try and do to get you know our grapes after they're harvested and now they're ready they're through fermentation they're ready to age and what we're looking for from these different lots as we go along so Let's start with the vessels, right? we will start with the most popular one. Probably what people know the most about are the oak barrels that we use. Now there's a combination of different types of barrels that we use every year. All of them happen to be from France. You can also get barrels from the United States. You can get them from Hungary and Croatia uh, a little bit. Uh, All of them tend to be oak barrels. There is a little bit of acacia wood uh, that has been utilized in the past. Even some older big casks uh, for wine production used to be made out of redwood. Uh, Those are largely not used anymore. Uh, But there are a lot of different types of things you can do with these barrels. And the best way I can describe these oak barrels, because think of it, let's start with oak. I'm not going to get too much into acacia, uh, but let's talk about the oak side of things. That You can think of it really as, you know, much like Cabernet Sauvignon, a grape grown here in California versus a Cabernet Sauvignon grape grown in France. Just because of the country they're in, the weather that it experiences, the soil that it's in, that grape, even though it's the same grape, will have different flavors, different characteristics that go about it. The same is true of these oak forests. So, with that, you know, depending on stylistically kind of what flavors you're trying to elicit you might pick a different forest or a different country of where that oak is coming from. Uh, think of like silver Oak, for example, you know, a staple from Napa, you know, they use a ton of American Oak because that stylistically is what they're going for. That's part of their template. When they make their wines, you look at, let's say, I mean, we can use us as an example. We use exclusively French Oak because I specifically love how those flavors interact and work with the wines that we're making. Uh, Brittany, on the other hand, for her wines uses actually a a fair amount of stainless steel specifically for her rosé. So that, you know, will play a role and she won't use too much new oak, but maybe some uh, neutral barrels that have been used a couple of times. So there's a lot of different avenues that you can go with these oak barrels. Uh, On top of that, as many of you may know, and maybe you don't, but uh, these barrels are charred or caramelized on the inside. Now, it's not quite like a bourbon barrel where it's, they call it, you know, alligator skin. It's basically burnt uh, to almost, it looks like, you know, it looks like a log that's been sitting on a fire, basically. Uh, so that's why they call it, you know, that alligator skin. Uh, but that's, you know, something that is, you know, a heavy, heavy toasting level. Uh, wine barrels typically don't go that heavy. And what, because what we're trying to do are elicit some of kind of the uh, sweeter and lighter oak flavors. Um, It's everything from vanilla, it's everything from dried fruits and spices and uh, brown sugar and things of that nature. Uh, Just, you know, characteristics that we're trying to elicit from those barrels. So not only are we deciding, you know, what barrels from what country or what forest that we want to use to elicit certain flavors or characteristics, but now we're charring the inside of those barrels to a certain level to, you know, really add to that and really enhance some of those flavors and some of those characteristics. And that's, you know, for your new barrels. Now, of course, you can use an oak barrel over and over and over again. Uh, Typically, we use our own oak barrels probably six to eight years before we finally rotate them out and buy new barrels to replace them. And the reason we do that is because there are certain wines that we don't want to put into new oak. That new oak can be really, really intense. It can be somewhat overbearing if it's, you know, applied to the Wrong wine. So, the way you can think about using these barrels is kind of like making, and this is an analogy that I use all the time. If you've sat down in the cave with me and tasted wine, you've heard me say this, and that is using an oak barrel over and over again is a lot like making a cup of tea over and over again with the same tea bag. It just keeps getting more and more watered down. You're not getting the flavors and the aromas out of that tea bag that you were once you've made six cups of tea with it, right? The same goes for your oak barrels that as time goes on and the more you use them, the less you're getting out of that barrel in terms of the flavors and the aromas and the characteristics. The caveat, though, is that It's still a great container for aging wine because it allows for very small amounts of oxygen in. It helps meld that wine and some of those other characteristics that are already established in the wine itself. It helps them come together and it can create a blending component when it comes to, you know, kind of when you get closer to bottling that wine when it's all set and done. So oak barrels are immensely complex, Uh, they are amazing pieces of art, they're literally, you know, handmade, Uh, they're beautiful, Uh, they they can be pricey, but well worth it if you're trying to make a high quality wine. Uh, there are certain things that you can do outside of oak barrels. This is particularly if you're trying to keep a wine a little bit cheaper, uh, a little bit more affordable. Is you can use everything from oak chips, almost like a almost like a tea bag kind of mentality or adjuncts, uh, where it's almost like little like mini staves and things that you'll put into a used barrel, and these new ones will be. Toasted and charred, and they'll have certain characteristics to add to your wine, but they're a lot cheaper than buying a brand new French oak barrel. So, if you're looking to make a wine kind of on a dime, you can buy some of these oak adjuncts. You can uh, buy some of these chips and other things. There's even like sawdusts and extracts and and all kinds of stuff that you can use to, you know, kind of manufacture these oaky flavors. Um, That is all stuff that we are going to get into in another episode when it comes to. Uh, kind of additives and fining and filtering and all this other stuff so that's going to get lumped in with a whole nother episode so uh, more on you know kind of the outlying things that folks use uh, for winemaking you know we'll get to that down the road all right so let's say you're trying to keep a wine kind of a little bit lighter a little bit fresher that's when stainless steel comes into play And this is stainless steel is something that is relatively new to the wine industry. It wasn't until I believe the 70s that stainless steel started becoming more and more prevalent within the wine industry. And it's something that's great because we can temperature control it. It's something that doesn't you know provide any flavors or characteristics. If you're really trying to retain kind of the natural integrity of the grape and the wine you've made, stainless steel is a great option you know, it's not gonna breathe all that much. Uh, You can keep it topped off with uh, argon gas or nitrogen and keep that container really, really full. That way there's little to no oxygen left in there and it keeps the wine very, very stable. Uh, This is the same reason why we have stainless steel kegs, you know, laying about the winery. Uh, When we don't have enough wine to fill up a full barrel, we break it down into 15 gallon kegs or even pony kegs. That way we can, you know, keep the air off of that just by gassing it and sparging all that oxygen out of there and it keeps that wine nice and stable so that we can use that for topping up some of those oak barrels. Uh, Stainless steel is a great tool for us in the wine industry both just from the winemaking side of things as well as the aging side of things. It's very easy to clean it doesn't have a high impact on the wine And as long as you keep that equipment in good working order, you don't puncture one of those barrels with a forklift or something like that, you can use it over and over and over and over again. You don't have to worry about spending 1200 bucks on a new oak barrel every year if you're using that stainless steel barrel. It's kind of nice. So another way to kind of help save on some costs in in that sense as well. Uh, There are a couple other options, and these are two that actually I have never worked with in any way, shape or form, but I kind of know the gist of why folks use them and how they're applied to some of their wines. And that would be uh, concrete, as well as clay uh, amphoras, very old school. I mean, going back to clay pots and aging wine goes back, goes back thousands of years. Uh, concrete is something that has been kind of fine-tuned over the years into those like egg-shaped containers, uh, which look really rad. Uh, the, from what I understand, the reason that folks use these is that you're not necessarily allowing for as much oxygen exposure uh, like you would from an oak barrel, And but it's not as airtight as stainless steel would be uh, because they are a little bit porous and there's little, you know, little, little pores on the insides of uh, these types of containers that a little bit more air tends to be in them in general. So it allows for a slight uh, slightly more oxidation than you would expect, and it helps kind of round out that wine without keeping it as airtight as a stainless steel you know, barrel would be or a stainless steel tank would be, and also not as oxidative as an oak barrel would be. So they tend to kind of play in this middle ground. Uh, I know that there are a lot of folks that use them, that swear by them. I know there are a lot of folks that are kind of like, eh, it's kind of, you know, I kind of want one or the other. I don't need this middle ground kind of container. I, I have also heard in, in the past that these can be an absolute chore to keep clean, uh, which, you know, winemaking is basically 50% just cleaning stuff at least. So, you know, if, if that becomes an issue, you know, I even I've thought about purchasing some of these concrete eggs for our white wine production, but because of the cleanliness thing and Con Valley being what it is where we make our wines, it's kind of like, uh, you know what, I'm going to... I'm going to hold off on doing that because I I want to make sure that our wines, you know, the quality stays there and I don't want to have to, you know, I, I, it was a little bit of like this. Oh, it sounds like a really great idea, but I don't know if this is going to be really, truly advantageous. I I really believe that at a certain point there would be diminishing returns with it. Uh, I I do want to try and use either M4 or concrete at some point down the line because it would be cool to try out that middle of the ground, middle of the road, uh, kind of vessel, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, I know some, again, some people love them. Some people are like, yeah, not for us. Uh, But realistically, they seem like great options. They're both things that uh, you can use, you know, stylistically to kind of be a balancing act between those oak barrels, as well as those stainless steel uh, barrels or tanks that you might be using. So those are kind of the major vessels that we use. I would say probably the two most popular are definitely the oak barrels as well as stainless steel. Uh, Concrete is definitely kind of trendy, as are clay amphoras for some small producers, uh, but they're, you know, those are a little bit tougher to come by from from my understanding of it, although I've seen plenty of them be used, you know, just because we're submerged in the wine industry. You get to know people that are like, oh yeah, we love using that stuff. So, uh, each one of those things will really kind of be just a what do you feel like using? And realistically, when that wine is done fermenting, you know, what vessel are you going to put it in so that you can really truly kind of elicit the flavors and characteristics that you want to, right? You know, you, it's kind of this, it's a very subjective judgment call. And based on the vineyard that you're working with, the fruit that you're working with, and where you want it to go. What's up, Freddie? Oh, hi, buddy. I'm in the middle of something. Of course, I start talking, and you come in here and you yell at me. Goober. Anyway, so, you know, it's really just kind of a stylistic consideration. And you have to decide kind of what vessel is going to be best suited for the wines that you are trying to make. Uh, whether you're the owner of that brand, or you're the winemaker, uh, or you're consulting, whatever the case may be, um, it's always open for discussion and it's always kind of fun to experiment and have kind of these R&D departments uh, within our wine production to try some of these things out. So now that you've decided on the container, whether it's concrete, whether it's amphora, whether it's an oak barrel or it's stainless steel, now you're talking about the amount of time that you're going to age that wine. Now there's a lot of things that go into this. And arguably the most important, in my opinion, is what you want that wine to be and taste like. Because after a certain amount of time, you will hit a level of diminishing returns when it comes to keeping it in that vessel. Especially when it comes to oak, because you think of like, oh, it stays in these oak barrels. And you think of like a a whiskey program. You're like, oh, if it's 10 years old or if it's 15 or 20, like it kind of you think it gets better and better the older it gets. But the reality is is that wine is a little bit more delicate. And at a certain point, you probably wanna take it out of barrel and you wanna get that bottled up. Because realistically, that barrel's not gonna be providing much more to that wine, both from a flavor standpoint, but also from just as it's oxidizing and continuing down that path. I mean, you can actually run into some issues as you go further down that line. Stainless steel is obviously You can keep it airtight. You could probably keep it in stainless steel for a very long time. But typically, if you're using stainless steel, it's for a more kind of crisp and refreshing style of wine. So you're probably bottling that sooner rather than later. Uh, Concrete and Amphora, uh, kind of that, again, middle of the road. I don't know of too many people that are aging their wines in those containers for an extended period of time. But a few months or even, you know, year and change seems to be kind of the trend again that's very much up to kind of who's using it I don't know of anyone that's doing like any long-term like two years three years or extending aging in, in those containers uh, but I'm sure someone is there's always exceptions that prove the rules right especially when it comes to winemaking now Once you've kind of figured out, you know, again, stylistically where you're going, you can kind of dial in that time frame, but you're going to be tasting along the way to make sure that your wine is continuing down the right path and that it's tasting the way that you want it to. Uh, The best example that I have for this is when we started making Pinot Noir. I had in my head what I wanted to do and how much time that was likely going to need to make the style of Pinot Noir that I wanted to make. And for the first few years we thought we we're doing this we were using about 30 percent new french oak and we we're aging it for about 18 months before we are bottling it and then we we're typically aging it for another year in bottle after the fact but as the years went on and we kept trying wines trying wines and come 2019 and into 2020 and 2021 i started to realize that at about that you know 8 to 14 month period the wine was kind of peaking in barrel. And basically by the time 12 months to 14 months rolled around, it wasn't getting so much better that I needed to wait 16 or 18 months to bottle that wine anymore. There was that level of diminishing returns where I was like, you know what? I could keep it in barrel, but realistically the only reason I'm doing that is because I can. It's not because it's actually doing anything exponentially better for the wine. Like there just, there wasn't anything else that was really coming about to make that wine level up. So we started bottling that wine sooner rather than later. You know, we reduced the aging time in barrel from uh, 18 months down to 12 months. And the wines are beautiful. It's been a really great adjustment to our winemaking program. Uh, So that's a part of that judgment call and that timing is you're kind of trying to figure out, you know, especially when you're adding a new wine to your lineup, you kind of have a a ballpark of what you want it to be. But if at a certain point, it's just tasting really great. Throw that into the next bottling run or schedule it and get rolling. Uh, This is a conversation I have with clients all the time. Uh, And it's, we get the questions like, how long do you think this will age for? How long do you think it needs? And I always ballpark it. I'm like, yeah, well, our, you know, Pinot Noir's around 12 months, Merlot's around two years, Cabernet's two years to three years, uh, you know, aging time. It, but if it tastes really good and I want to bottle it sooner, I bottle it sooner. It's, it's just a, you keep tabs on it, you try it every once in a while and you can make that judgment call as you go. So the timing is incredibly variable. It's something that we always have a ballpark for, but it's never something that's like, okay, it needs to be this. Uh, There's always a little bit of a range to it. Uh, Now, to kind of complicate the timing of aging is your release schedule. You know, if you have wine club shipments in the spring and you're shipping out your white wine or your red blend like we do, you need to have those things in bottle. So there is kind of a schedule that you need to adhere to And that will influence some of those stylistic considerations. You know, you're probably not gonna, if you're looking for just a, a bright, crisp, clean white wine that you want to be ready for the next spring, you might not throw a bunch of new oak barrels at that because you don't wanna sit there and wait eight months for that oak to really start to integrate, much less a little bit longer, and then bottle it like the next fall and then release it the following year. So you don't necessarily want to, you know, wait that long for your white wine to get out there if you're making that crisp, very clean kind of spring and summertime kind of wine. Now, if you're making that kind of oakier, more intense, kind of like creamier style of Chardonnay, maybe you need that time, right? And you're gonna extend that aging. You're like, you know what? We're gonna age this Chardonnay for at least eight months, if not a year or more, to let all these characters really meld together and make it a little bit richer and a little bit more intense style of white wine. So again, it's just kind of the Stylistic consideration, and you adapt your time frame to that, and when you want to be selling that wine. Uh, this is kind of a, a kind of a trick of the trade. Realistically, is that there's so many white wines that producers make, is because we can typically release those before the reds, right? They're typically ready before the red wines are, so that way it's it's a cash flow game for us. Uh, our white wine is to help us pay bills. It's it's I love making white wine. It's great to have the Pinot Gris and the Riesling before it in our lineup, but we have that released every spring because I need to start saving up money for grapes. And I need, I have plenty of bills to pay between you know, the bottling runs and getting into harvest as well. So it's really, really important that I have money in the bank. So white wine's kind of, it's kind of like a gin or a vodka program from a whiskey company. It's kind of this, we're waiting five or 10 years for this whiskey to be ready. In the meantime, here, drink this. You know, it's it's kind of the it's it's a it's a way that we can kind of play the game and make sure that we financially are in a good, healthy spot. So that is a big part of this aging process as well as like, hey, when do we need to sell <laughs> these wines so that we can pay our bills? Um, so you may might cut things if as long as the wine's in a good spot, you might cut it that month shorter than you expect or if you got time and you're not too worried about it, you can extend some aging uh, on some things as well you know if it just needs more time we've done that you know as well uh, with a few of our wines uh, specifically of the Merlot and our Cabernet we've been like hey this just needs more time so we're gonna wait uh, we don't we're not in a huge cash crunch we don't need to worry about getting this out to people right now we're gonna let this sit we're gonna let this age and we'll get to it when we get to it So the aging time is interesting because for us, it's, it's very much, there's very much wiggle room involved because it's, it's really dependent on how the wine is tasting and where I want it to be and where I think it needs to go. Uh, It's, it's a very subjective thing. So, and speaking of, I mean, kind of tasting and figuring things out, this will be a little bit of a tangent, I suppose, but you know, when we're tasting in barrel, we're not looking for the wine to be a complete finished product. Uh, I was hosting some groups uh, this last weekend. I was actually doing some cellar work and racking some of our wines and moving some wines uh, from you know one barrel to another barrel, so on and so forth. I'm tasting these barrels as we're going, and it's all uh, wine from 2022. It's a few months old at this stage, right? And it's just a quick checkup to make sure that the wines are on the right track. And I was making a bunch of noise, and some guests were walking through the cave. I was like, oh, here, you know, I'm kind of being obnoxious, making a bunch of noise here, and have a little barrel sample. This is our 2022 cab. And they, were, they thought it was delicious. And they asked when it was gonna be bottled. And I was like, yeah, probably like two, three years from now. And their jaws kind of hit the floor. They're like, yeah, but it's really good now. I'm like, yeah, but it's gonna be better if we wait. So again, kind of that timing side of things. Um, but it was also, this is something that if you're going, coming out to Napa, you're going to Texas, you're going to Oregon, or going abroad somewhere, and you get to do some barrel tasting, this is something that you should keep in mind is that you're tasting an incomplete product. Is that the barrel you're tasting is probably gonna be pretty good. But if, it's, if they're making 10 barrels of that wine, that's one tenth of what that wine is really gonna be. And they might be tasting on a barrel that's been used once. They might be tasting on a barrel that's new. Uh, they're, you know, whoever is barrel tasting, giving you that barrel tasting, is showing you something kind of cool and kind of fun, but realistically it is just a its a blip on the radar of what that wine is going to end up looking like. So even if a barrel tasting is not your favorite wine, keep in mind that if you like the wines typically by the end, you know, when they're bottled up and really ready to be consumed, it'll get there. It just takes that time. Uh, there've been plenty of folks that have really tried to manufacture that time and this aging process. And there are a lot of things you can do, excuse me, that are kind of tricks of the trade. But if you're making really true, fine, like high quality wine, you have to be patient. You have to wait. You have to use high quality materials, such as new barrels. Uh, The oak chips aren't gonna get you there. It'll make a style of wine. That's pretty good, maybe. But if you're really trying to make great, high quality wine, you're gonna have to spend some coin And fork out for the new barrels you're going to have to have the good equipment Uh, there's going to be certain things that you kind of have to do to level your wine up you can't just try and force the issue many people have tried the wines turn out fine but they don't turn out to be kind of the iconic or super memorable or life-changing wines that i think we all are hunting for in our kind of wine drinking you know careers basically so tangent but needed to be said, I think when it comes to kind of this aging process and what our opinions are of these barrels as we're tasting them. And it's, for me, it's always a snapshot. Here's where this wine's at. It's on a good path. Here are the other eight barrels or so. We're going to be blending with this. These are all on a good track. This barrel is going to be the structure and the backbone. This barrel is going to be the fruity characteristics. This barrel is a little bit more acidic. This one's a little bit smoother. And you're, bringing all those pieces together to really create that final blend when it comes to bottling. So uh, with that, you know, with everything that we've kind of touched on, let's talk about just kind of practical applications of some of this. So let's start with, we talked a little bit about uh, MTGA and and Blair Payton, but let's talk about the Pinot Gris that we're making as well as uh, the Blair Payton Rosé that Brittany is making. So these couple of wines are kind of those quick to market wines now we only age them for about six months believe it or not so in 2022 uh, these grapes were harvested in late august they're going to be bottled in late february we're literally 29 days away from the bottling run if you're watching this as it comes out uh it's going to be these wines are going to be bottled on february 28th so it's end of end of february is when we're bottling And the reason that we're doing this is because we want them ready for the springtime. We want them to be very bright. We want them to be very fresh. Uh, We don't want them to oxidize too much during the aging process. So we feel as though to really make the quality of white wine that we wanna make, or rosé in Brittany's case, that we need to bottle them sooner rather than later. We don't wanna wait a couple extra months. We don't wanna wait even a couple extra weeks. Like February is when we want this bottling run to happen because we feel as though these wines are in a great spot and we wanna capture what they're all about while they're in this great spot so that they're ready for the spring and the summer months. Now there's an oddball that we're gonna be bottling at the end of February, and that is the Blair Peyton Grenache. This is a red wine that is aged for six months and then bottled after six months. And typically you think Napa, you think California, or even just you know red wine in general, like, oh, well, it's gonna be in barrel for at least you know a year or so, right? Maybe eight months at, at the lowest but you know, Brittany really wanted to make this kind of more kind of light-hearted almost like chillable style of red wine that's just very crushable much like a white wine or a rose would be and this is something that you see in like Beaujolais for example and not necessarily Beaujolais Nouveau that's you know ready a couple of weeks after harvest uh it is something that is something you know you know still got some good body some good structure to it but they're a little bit more lighthearted, like less serious kinds of wine. kind of wine, even though there are some amazing Cru Beaujolais out there uh, that are worth trying. Uh, but it, it makes a wa- red wine that's just very easy drinking. It's kind of like a step back from Pinot Noir, not in a bad way. It's just a little bit lighter, simpler, yummier, just you know, red wine that you don't have to think about. And when you want a nice glass of red wine on a warm day, you're like, you know what? This one can have a little bit of a chill on it. It's beautiful. So, you know, that's a red wine style that we've incorporated or that Brittany has incorporated because that's a style of wine that she loves to drink and she wanted to make a wine that emulates that. Now, the... Now, the vessels that we use for these three wines are going to be stainless steel. Uh, That's for the Pinot Gris and for the Rosé specifically. Uh, These two are actually opposite proportions. We do use some neutral French oak barrels for these. Uh, So they're barrels that have been used at least two or three times. So they're not really imparting any flavors or characteristics to the wine. Now, the Pinot Gris sees about two-thirds neutral oak, and then the last third is gonna be stainless steel. The rose is the opposite. It's actually about two thirds stainless steel and then one third neutral oak. And that's largely just based again, kind of stylistically, what do these wines need? You want to keep the rose a little bit brighter, a little bit more refreshing. So we're keeping it in that stainless steel that's gonna have a far less of an impact and oxidize that wine less. The Pinot Gris, on the other hand, I want to have some body in that wine. I want it to round out a little bit, but not too much. So we kind of hedge our bets a little bit. We keep it in those neutral oak barrels so that oxidative process does happen slowly but surely. But we bottle it soon so that it doesn't lose too much of that very crisp and refreshing nature. Now the red wine, the Blair Payton Grenache is 100% neutral French oak. Uh, We want a little bit more of that oxidative process. We want that wine to smooth out and round out a little bit more. Therefore, no stainless steel is used in that wine, but we use the neutral barrels just because again, they're great containers. So let's go into of our bigger reds right so we're talking the mtg merlot and our cabernet sauvignon uh, our red blend as well or any of the barrel select or single barrel wines that we've done in the past now these wines are going to age for much longer we're talking 18 months two years three years in terms of the aging time based on where we want them to go and what we want them to be so this is where we draw out that aging process quite a bit more for things like our Merlot and even our Pinot Noir, we only use about 30% new barrels. And the reason we only use 30% is because we just want a little bit of that spice. We just want a little bit of those vanilla and butterscotch and coffee kind of characteristics. We just want a dash. We don't want it to define the wine. We want it to be a component, right? So I really want the Pinot Noir and the Merlot to speak for what those varieties are. And having just a smaller percentage of new oak in those wines will help me achieve that. The rest of those barrels have all been used once, twice, three times, maybe even four times, typically. So there's, again, still great containers, kind of taking that same mentality of the Blair, Peyton, Grenache, where we want you know those wines to round out and smooth out, but we don't want them to hit you upside the head too hard. Now, when we level up to the red blend, this is where we increase, and even our Napa Valley Cabernet, actually. Uh, these two wines typically see about 50 to 60% new oak, maybe a little bit more depending on the year, but that's kind of the average 50 to 60%. And that's largely because you have Napa Cabernet. One, it's a bigger kind of bolder variety. It can withstand a little bit more oak aging. And the red blend has, you know, roughly 40 to 50% Cabernet in it as well. And it just needs a little bit more. So with these bigger varieties, we end up using, you know, some bigger barrels with more flavor and they're gonna have a greater impact on the wine. And that goes even further when it comes to things like our single barrel wines, like our St. Helena Merlot, the Black Knight Pinot Noir, or Cabernet Franc, uh, or our Grand Cast Cabernet. These are wines that see maybe 80 or 100% new oak. And the reason for that is we want the full force of these barrels to really have a big impact we want them to help define these wines and what they are stylistically for us. So you can almost think of like it's kind of this arms race of the barrels that we use from our lighter, you know, whites to rosé to, you know, Pinot Noir and Grenache to Merlot to Cabernet and Red Blends and everything up here. Right. So kind of the bigger and bolder I want the wine to be, the newer the barrels get or the larger proportion of newer barrels that we use. Right. So that's kind of from a practical application how we use barrels and stainless steel as i mentioned we don't use any concrete or clay uh, m4s just yet uh, but maybe one day so you know there's there's kind of this i guess there's when i move back to, to napa you know there's there's this big trend of kind of the more new oak the better and that's why we've kind of dialed back the oak program a little bit for what is what has been kind of typical of napa these days uh, we want to have, you know, a little bit more subtlety, maybe, you know, call it a little bit more finesse in the wines where the oak aging is a great component for kind of our benchmark wines. You know, between the Pinot Noir, the Merlot specifically, since that's our flagship, as well as since we've started making Cabernet and our red blend. We want that to be, you know, obviously a part of those flavors and those characteristics, but we don't want to overdo it. And when we're doing our barrel select program for any of our single barrel wines or like our Cabernet Franc that's when you know I'm tasting through those barrels I'm saying this barrel can withstand or this lot can kind of withstand that new oak profile in fact it's going to enhance it and only make it better that's how we started making our single barrel Merlot in 2013 when we first made that wine was this barrel is good enough and big enough and bold enough that this new oak is gonna be a great component rather than a defining characteristic Uh, it's not gonna be too heavy-handed it's gonna balance out with the wine very very well and that's something that when you're using, in my experience, these new barrels, it, it takes time. You really, you're not gonna see a, a, a big impact in the wine for probably six or eight months. You'll see, you'll definitely taste it and you'll smell it. It'll start kind of absorbing into the wine over those months. But after six or eight months, I feel as though I have a much better understanding of how it's gonna impact that wine. So typically come June or July, I go back through and I taste through everything, especially if it's in new barrels, and I see how it's coming along. And at that point, I can kind of gauge how much more time I want it to be in that barrel, or maybe it's absorbing those oak flavors really, really fast. and It's really, really intense, and I don't want it to be too woody. I can take that wine out of that new barrel and make sure that it doesn't go too far past where I want it to be. So, you know, again, playing with that aging time, the vessel that it's in, and just evaluating as you go is really what the aging process is all about. Because if you did a good job during your fermentation and kind of the more volatile aspects of the winemaking process, by the time you get to this aging stage in the new year, your job as a winemaker is to be a guiding hand and make sure everything stays on track. That is the A number one thing I'm trying to do every time I go out into the cellar and taste through barrels, or we start getting start blending and getting ready for bottling when it's all said and done. So aging is, it's. Arguably, I I always say, kind of the, you know, harvest is always such an amazing time, but aging and the beginning of the aging process is probably my favorite. It's this time in January into February in the new year where you can go and taste through all of your newest wines that you just picked, that you just put all this work into, and you start to smell and taste the potential that these wines have. And 2022, for example, having tasted all those wines uh, just this last uh, weekend, the last weekend in uh, January, it reminds me, it starts to remind you of like, oh, this this 22 vintage for us. And anyway, it, it's very reminiscent of the 2015 vintage and the flavors and characteristics that came out of that very uh, hot and dry season that had very low yields. Uh, we made maybe a third of the wine that we normally do in that year because the vineyards were just we had a, it's a long story, but uh, we weren't able to make nearly as much wine as, as we were in 2015. And these wines, right as they're tasting now, are like, oh, this is kind of that same starting point that those wines were in. So you really get to try, you know, you really get to kind of, you know, right now, like, oh, here's where they're headed. This is what to expect. And this is when I get really, really excited is because you start to really experience that, which is a lot of fun. Oh my gosh! I forgot something. We were talking uh, oak barrels at the very beginning, and we t- we mentioned, you know, of course, French oak, American oak, and uh, Hungarian and kind of Eastern European, uh, you know, oak programs. And we need to talk about that. And I I, m- I know I mentioned that we use exclusively French oak as opposed to American oak. And we talked a little bit about, you know how American oak, because it's grown here in the States versus, you know, being grown in France or in Hungary, I mean, it's obviously gonna have different flavors and characteristics, but here's the difference. French oak typically has much tighter grains. So you look at like a piece of wood, you can see the grains, right? They're much tighter and more dense when it comes to French oak. The Hungarian oak tends to be a little bit wider and American oak tends to be a little bit wider than that. So think of it this way. French oak typically has less surface area with available within the wine because those pores aren't quite as big. The Hungarian oak will have a little bit more and the American oak a little bit more. So typically because there's more surface area within an American oak barrel, you're gonna have more of an impact, more of the wine is touching that barrel. And as a result, more is getting absorbed into that wine. So for that purpose, American oak tends to be or can be pretty heavy handed, pretty intense and can add a lot of flavor to your wine. The Hungarian oak or Slovenian oak can be kind of the middle of the road. Uh, It's not quite as wide, and uh, the grains aren't quite as um, dense as French, but they're not quite as loose as, say, American oak. So those are kind of the middle of the road. Uh, Very similar to the aging process of, like, an M4 or concrete. They kind of, like, split the difference between, say, stainless steel and oak barrels. Uh, The Hungarian oak barrels are kind of the in-between between, like, American oak and French oak. Now, the reason that we use French Oak for MTGA exclusively is because we're making wines that are a little bit more subtle, a little bit more restrained. If we were to use American Oak, it'd be far too heavy handed. Those flavors and characteristics would just come screaming out of the gate and the wine would frankly be overpowered by those barrels. So I love using French Oak for MTGA because it has a much more subtle impact. Uh, I find those barrels a little bit creamier, a little bit richer. And they just work for stylistically what I'm trying to do with the wines that I make. Uh, I've worked with some American oak in the past uh, with some Syrah and some Zinfandel specifically. So kind of bigger, juicier varieties that can withstand some of that intensity. Um, I've not used any Hungarian oak or Slovenian oak uh, to my knowledge. Although I've seen it kind of here and there and everywhere. Um, They're, from what I understand, a good good in between, you're not necessarily gonna get the subtlety that French Oak provides or the intensity, again, that American Oak provides, but they're kind of a good middle of the road, solid choice depending on, you know, stylistically what you're trying to do. So those are kind of the major differences uh, between those. Um, This is actually, you know, with the intensity of American Oak, it's why someone like Silver Oak that makes these really, and they use, you know, so much new, I mean, I think exclusively of all 100% like new American Oak, they own their own Cooperage. You know, they, you know, those wines, like when they're young for me, they're like, oh, like they hit you right in the mouth. And then 10 years, 15, 20 years go by, and you're like, damn, this is actually like really nice, really smooth. Uh, I've seen the same thing with uh, Ridge Vineyards in Santa Cruz. Uh, They, you know, use a lot of American oak as well. And it's something that is like, okay, now once those wines get a little older, it settles down and it's more to my liking. Now, again, with everything being subjective, if you love that intensity and that big flavor, then yeah, you can open up those wines sooner rather than later. If you want a little bit more subtlety, uh, then maybe you're waiting for those wines to age and the same can go for you know, any of these you know, vessels. Uh, there are plenty of folks that are oddballs like me, that love to age white wine i love for those things to kind of evolve and change over years Uh, again going back to time and that aging process uh, whether it's in barrel and it's still in our hands or it's at home with you in a wine fridge or uh, you know storage unit somewhere that aging process continues as long as that wine's in bottle and it will change ever so slightly and continue to change ever so slightly as the years go on, uh, the aging process as it pertains to like when to open your wines or when they're going to peak and be best, we're going to get into that next month. Uh, since we're going to continue down this aging path and kind of the wine production side of things, we're going to dive into the you've bought a wine, how long should you hang on to it? That is going to be a couple weeks from now. Uh, next week we are going to get into more of an opinion piece this is something that i'm going to start doing is kind of casting a line out of kind of here are my thoughts on a certain portion or segment of the industry or kind of what's going on or what's happening and we're going to be tackling wine ratings next week Uh, it's a fun one i had a lot of fun talking about it i hope that it's useful information Uh, And that, you know, these first two episodes that were a little bit more kind of educational and kind of talking about the winemaking process and what we look for starting with the fermentation and getting into the aging process. I hope these uh, have been useful to you. So again, if you have any questions that you would like to have answered, the last week of every month, I'm gonna start doing a Q&A. It'll be more rapid fire as, as opposed to going for, you know, 35 or 45 minutes on a single topic. We'll try and do five or 10 minutes on three or four topics and bang out kind of more rapid fire questions uh so if you have any questions please leave them in the comments also don't forget to subscribe if you have any suggestions as well this is only episode two remember that like i'm trying to i'm figuring this out uh i think we're off to a pretty good start i know uh there are little things like the camera keeps trying to focus on my hand when i get it like really really close and then when i pull away it like zooms out a little bit um I think the sound has been okay. Like any anything that is uh, useful, uh, critique is also welcome. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning again. We'll see you next week to talk about some wine ratings and. After that, actually, the third week of February, we're gonna get into a little wine tasting action. Uh, We're going to announce uh, what we're gonna be getting into uh, on social media, likely Instagram and Twitter, as well as Facebook, uh, before that point in time. So if you wanna go out and track down some of those wines, uh, we're gonna do that live on Twitch. We have a Twitch channel that I've been using for some time. Uh, It'll be uploaded to YouTube the following day on uh, Thursday. So we'll do the wine tasting on Wednesday night. I'll cut that and we'll get it uploaded on Thursday uh, for a premiere as well. So, all kinds of fun and exciting things. So, we will see you next time. Cheers.